You're listening to a podcast from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie. Ernest Blythe was managing director of the Abbey Theatre from 1941 to 1967. During his tenure, Rhea Mooney, who had played the part of Rosie Redmond in the original 1926 production of The Plough and the Stars by Sean O'Casey, directed many of the productions. Frank Dermody also directed shows for the Abbey stage, as well as training actors at the Abbey School of Acting. In this podcast, we hear Des Cave, Pat Laffin, Derry Power, Ronnie Masterson, Stephen Ray, Niall Buggy and Bridgney Nocton. Blythe was a strange, uh, a, a Presbyterian Republican and Gaelic speaking. Amazing combination. He could be a bee, as in Blythe, <laughs> but he also had beliefs and, and that what the state should be like. You know? He kept the place afloat. He was very formidable, he was very old. And, but, but very definite in his opinions and uh, loved to talk, uh, anecdotes, but very firm as well if he'd made a decision that he didn't like you or something, you were dead. He um, had nothing theatrical about him whatsoever. Really what he seemed to enjoy most were the bilingual pantomimes or a modern comedy occasionally. Yeah, he would come on. He always watched dress rehearsals, yes. He'd be in for those and he would give notes to the director, rarely to the actors. While Blythe's idea was just to do rural comedies and run a theatre uh, as an instrument for national defence, which is what he called it, um, there was the odd good production that Brie would do. And then you got to like the Dublin plays of Jack McCann and that. It was a good laugh and you just go to the gods, you know. And you thought, this is not unlike um, a municipal theatre like the Filippo in, in Naples or wherever it was. And the standard, because the actors were very experienced in rural roles, in, 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 in country parts and in Dublin parts for that matter, they were all they were all very uh, expert, so you would have a good evening, you know, even though it wasn't Shakespeare. It was everything was directed by Rhea Mooney. Rhea was a strange lady. I I, I didn't really get onto her way with it at all. I, on analysis, I think she wasn't that old, so she was only fifty, but she was to me an old lady. And of course, I mean, she was vastly overworked because she did every play that was ever done then. So, I mean, the woman hadn't time to draw her breath. Uh, but with the result that um, she lost interest and inspiration and all that. So it was just really putting on the play and uh, learn the lines and don't fall over the furniture. You'd say to Rhea, should I stand up here? And she'd say, no, no, no. So if you wanted to stand up, you'd say, well, I keep sitting down, Rhea. Yeah, no, no, stand up. So it, you had to be a psychologist as well as everything else. <laughs> and, and, and to be given a part and to be able to walk on the Abbey stage was such a thrill 
that uh, I, I, it's only when I left it, I left it in 1960, I think I went to London. It's only when I left it and, and left Rhea. I mean, in retrospect, she was like a school teacher, really. And it was only when I got the freedom after working with people like Jim Fitzgerald and what have you, uh, who encouraged you to, to contribute. It, 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 I, I felt, how did I work with Rhea for all those years? God. She was just overworked, I think, mostly. I got on very well with her. I have a letter from her that I got, which was rather affectionate when she was leaving, kind of for good. And uh, she was a terrific actress. She'd, I met um, Burgess Meredith, you know, the movie star, and we were chatting, and uh, he said, of course, I... I uh, I worked in New York with Rhea Mooney. Mm. She she taught me everything I know. And I said, funny enough, she taught me most things I know as well. It was just confusing, at least with Makana, there was a stability of a type. But with Dermody, there was no stability at all. And he was as likely to savage you yeah. for incompetence as yeah. he was to encourage you. Well, he was a very unstable man himself. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the funny, strange thing about Dermody, you, uh, you probably know a little bit more about this than I would, because I think that originally Philip and Vincent uh, were looking for a director. As young actors, they were looking mm. for a director. Mm. And Dermody was living in England at the time. And they asked, as far as I know, for Dermody to come over. However, Dermody came over with a talent, a lot of talent, but incredible problems uh, with that talent. I mean, came with the talent, which, I mean, he never really rehearsed the play fully, did he? I but mean, I mean there's, there, there's, there's, that's, look. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it was all about, it was all about line. emotion, you know, yeah. so it, it was all for emotion. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, you know, Vincent and all that, they, they liked the, the emotional thing, you know, but I, to be honest, there was more to Abbey acting than that, you know. Yes. Well, you never knew what he was going to be at, you know, and he'd stamp his feet and he'd walk out and he'd do all kinds of things like that. But he was a lovely man. Right. I mean, so many people said, oh, don't want to work with him. But I, I could see what he had in him. You know, and I was quite happy to work with him. Poor old Frank Dermot, he was, he was, gets irritated an awful lot and he stamped the feet and everything else like that, but he was a lovely man. And so many people who were in that thing, they couldn't bear him. Do you know, they were giving out about him. But I saw what he was at. And if that's what he wanted, that's what I gave him, you know? Um, I suppose I, uh, because uh, people have, you know, you hear different um, kinds of Frank Dermody. Frank Dermody was, um, he wasn't directing, he wasn't, uh, he was actually, um, I suppose, coming to the end of his days and um, uh, Thomas brought him in, gave him, you know, a couple of hours and he used to take a group of us and do, um, a scene out of different plays and I remember him as being fantastic, mad but fantastic. 
I think Tomás uh, was sort of giving him something to do, really, because he, he'd sit in the Abbey foyer and you'd see him just sitting there and, you know, he had nothing to do. I mean, the man had given so much of his time and suddenly, you know, you, you're getting on and things have moved on and suddenly, oh, what do I do now? So I think that's what that was about. But, I mean, he could spend, like, three hours on one line with you which could have been, could be, you know, exasperating. But in hindsight, I knew where he was coming from. And, and he could be terribly cruel to people. And he, you know, I mean, he, there are stories of him being, you know, backstage and not leaving the actors alone and being backstage and being one-sided stage and when somebody would come off and come on, come on, come on, come on, bring me there. I knew you couldn't do it. You know, he could be really cruel and horrible and stuff. But I saw another side to him, you know. With all of them, with all of them, with Tomás, with all of them, you know, they're different, different accounts from different people. But I think uh, all of them had the Abbey at heart, especially those early days. You know, it was all about, all about the theatre, all about the work, and um, that loyalty. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie.